0: Uh, one of the greatest blessings I think that my husband Robert and I have received in recent years is the blessing of being involved um, with foster families and foster to adopt families. Um, we both have a heart for children. We both deeply believe that every child belongs in a family. And so to see that, that ministry at work um, in the life of this church is, is quite a blessing. A few weeks ago, we had one of uh, our favorite five-year-olds, just turned five years old, um, spending a Friday night with us, and it was our responsibility to have him awake and at a birthday party the next morning on time or something. And so my husband, Robert, is trying really to get the little boy, I'll be really careful not to say a name, the little boy and I ready um, to go to this birthday party, and I never want to give up my time sitting next to him, and he is, let me just say this, there has literally never been in the history of the world a slower person getting dressed. Like, this kid is so slow when he gets dressed. And so oftentimes when he, when he's finally dressed, shoes are on the wrong feet, all sorts of stuff like that, right? And so Robert just keeps saying, come on, we need to go, get dressed, we need to go. And finally Robert says to him, I know your mommy. Your mommy taught you how to get dressed, didn't she? And that sweet little boy looked up at my husband with his swimsuit all cattywampus and his shirt on backwards and his shoes on the wrong feet. And he said, I know how, but sometimes I don't get it right. And I was like, well, that kid just summed up my whole life in 10 words, (laughs) right? I mean, I know, I know, but sometimes I just don't get it right. And I think that can be true, so true for us sometimes as Christians, like we know what God tells us. We know the things that God says, now this is for you to do. This is what you are called to. We know. And yet we sometimes find ourselves feeling very much loved by God, but standing before him with our shoes on the wrong feet. Saying, I know what you told me, God. But I just don't always get it right. And I think that can be so true for us so often. When we set out to make a difference in the world in which we live, especially when we try to address the issue of material poverty in our world. When we try to make a difference for people who are struggling with material poverty, living in deep poverty, how do we, as the people of God, make a difference? And how do we do it in a way that creates more help and not more harm? We're starting a sermon series for the next several weeks titled When Helping Hurts, based on this book by the same title. If you have not read this book, I really want to encourage you to do it because I'm going to tell you, you can ask my husband if you don't believe me. I was awake almost all night last night because I want you to know everything that's in here and there's no way to do that in 22.3 minutes. Just can't be done. So get this book. Read through it so that we can all be together in understanding how it is that we, as the people called Christians, can create help in the world in which we live, because we are all struggling in some way with in poverty, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain what I mean by that in just a few moments. Our scripture this morning um, is out of the New Testament book of First Peter. It's chapter two, verses twenty-one through twenty-five. And the scripture tells us how it is that we as Christians are to follow in the steps of Jesus and and, and what that difference that makes for us as we um, seek to be the people who make a difference, the people who seek to alleviate material poverty, spiritual poverty, and relational poverty in our world. If you don't have your Bibles with you, the words will be on the screen, or you can go to our app and it will be on the app as well. I invite you now to hear... um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. For to this you have been called. To this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So that free from sins we might live for for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God, please open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear what you would have us to hear so that we can learn what you need us to learn and live as you would have us to live. Help us, God, to have the courage to follow in the steps of your son, Jesus. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I think that most Christians would say and acknowledge um, that they know why Jesus came, That that God sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins so that we would have forgiveness of our sins. So that our very souls would be saved. That's, what we, that's how we would explain that. And acknowledge that truth that God sent his son for salvation. That's only part of this epic story of why God sent Jesus to earth. Yes, it is true please do not misunderstand me. Every now and then someone will come up to me and say, oh, when you said in your sermon that God, you know, didn't send Jesus to save our sins, I'll be like, it's recorded. I can go back, right? Yes, it is true. It is absolutely true. It is a part of this epic story of why God sent Jesus. But let me tell you something. In Colossians chapter 1, they describe Jesus in this way, as the creator, the sustainer, and the reconciler of everything. The creator and the sustainer and the reconciler of everything. So God sent Jesus for for the forgiveness of our sins, for the salvation of our souls. God sent Jesus for reconciliation, for all the alienation that takes place in our world, all the poverty of alienation that takes place in our world. You see, from the very beginning, God created us, And he established four foundational relationships that we are all meant to live in. We're meant to live in a relationship with God. The primary relationship of our lives, that that relationship from which every other relationship flows. We are meant to live in a relationship with God. We are meant to live in a relationship with self. Where we understand that we were created in the image of God and therefore every single person has worth and dignity. We are not God, but we are reflections of the goodness of God. And so we live in a relationship with self. We live in a relationship with one another where we care deeply about other people and see them through the eyes of God and care what happens in their lives. We live in relationship with one another and we live in relationship with creation. God created all and put us as stewards of all that he's created, and so we have relationship with creation. And when all of these things are functioning properly and all of these relationships are working the way they're supposed to, that's when we live life at its fullest, when we have fullness of life because we are being and doing what God created us to do and be. And that's how it was in the beginning in Genesis with Adam and Eve. They were living in that life of fullness Fullness, because all of those four relationships were functioning properly and everything was going the way it was meant to go. But then sin entered into that picture. And when sin entered into the picture, it alienated and created poverty. Poverty, spiritual poverty, relational poverty. It it created an alienation between the people and God where they tried to hide from him. It created alienation of self where there was shame and lack of worth. It created alienation between the people who started blaming each other for why sin entered the picture, and it created alienation with creation itself. And so, how is it that we then are to follow in the footsteps? How are we to follow in the steps of Jesus when we when we understand that Jesus is described as the Creator, the Sustainer, and the Reconciler of everything? You see, part of this epic story of why Jesus, why God sent His Son Jesus was to reconcile, to bring back into a right relationship all those things that are broken, all those things that are alienated, all those relationships, all that poverty, spiritual, relational, and material, to reconcile all of that to God. How do we go about this? I think first, one of the first things that we have to do And this is where I, again, encourage you to go into the book and read what he has to say about how it is that we have developed a mindset around poverty where we don't really understand material poverty. And sometimes we've even bought into things like health and wealth gospel or also known as prosperity gospel, which is bunk. Which is where we tell ourselves that we have what we have because we're so much better and because God loves us more. And we have this mindset around poverty that people live in it because that's what they deserve. And we don't live in it because that's what we deserve. And there's no scriptural reference for that. Right? And sometimes we even think when we go into communities where poverty is so deep that we are taking Jesus into those communities. And I get that sometimes we are, but let me tell you something. Jesus has been at work in those communities since the beginning of time. One of the stories that one of the authors of this book tells is about how he was in Nairobi, Kenya, and he was walking through the slums of Nairobi. Deeper and deeper into these slums he went, and he said that it began to the stench began to be so bad that it was overwhelming. He said it was simply inhumane. The children were digging through garbage just to find anything of value or something to eat. And he thought to himself, this place is a God-forsaken place. But as they went deeper into that, that slum, he said he heard the sound of people singing hymns. And he thought, well, there must be some missionaries here that are singing But as they got closer, he realized it was people who lived in that area who had started a church in a tent, and they were singing hymns. And so they said to him when they found out that he was a pastor, they said, you could preach a sermon. And he said, being the good Presbyterian that I am, I thought, I'll preach a sermon on the sovereignty of God. That's what I'll do. He said, but then before I got up to preach, I heard the prayers of the people. And I heard one man pray for his son who was going blind. And I heard a woman pray for safety from the man she is married to who beats her every day. And I heard another woman pray that they would have enough food just to live one more day. He said, it was in that moment that I realized I could preach a sermon on the sovereignty of God. But these, my brothers and sisters in Christ, were living in that sovereignty every day, trusting God every single day. He said... I realized that when they say the fourth petition in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, their minds don't wander like mine sometimes does. And he said, and I realized that they had a spiritual depth and maturity that I would probably never experience in my lifetime. We need to be aware of our mindset around poverty if we're going to effectively minister in it. If we are going to truly make a difference in the lives of people who are living in material poverty. I think the other thing we need to do is recognize the own poverty that's in our lives. That we are experiencing in our own way a a poverty of relationship, a, a spiritual poverty. Where we sometimes see that others might have sinned, but we don't. And I think what we have to do is say, listen, we are all in this together We are all experiencing some type of poverty. There's alienation and brokenness in all of our lives. And when we come together with those who are experiencing material poverty and say, Look, you're not okay and I'm not okay, but Jesus can fix us both. You're a sinner and I'm a sinner, but Jesus came for us all. So that we're in this together and we approach this idea of alleviating material poverty by being in it together. That we go and ask people and be in relationship with people, what is it that you need rather than determining in our Western mindset what it is everyone needs? So how is it that we, how is it that we stop and ask ourselves some of these questions? What is my mindset around poverty? Do I recognize my own poverty in my life? And let me tell you that while we talk about this, it is not to take away from the fact that we need to be living our lives, doing something about and addressing material poverty. Throughout Scripture, God pays special attention to people who are struggling with material poverty. In, in the very beginning, Deuteronomy, God even says to the people of Israel, let, let there be no poverty among you. Do not allow that to happen. And when they do, they're exiled. And we pay a lot of attention talking about how they're exiled because they worship other gods and false idols. But they were in exile because they paid no attention to the people who were poor among them. And then when they fasted, they couldn't understand why God didn't recognize their fast. And in Isaiah, God responds by saying, listen, what about breaking loose the chains of oppression that people live in? What about paying attention to the people who are going without food? What about paying attention to the people who are experiencing injustice in their lives? Then I'll recognize your fast. Then I'll hear your cry. So the Bible pays close and special attention. They have a... People who struggle with material possession, I believe, have a special place in God's heart, and we're to see that. So when we read this scripture in Colossians where Jesus is described as the creator, sustainer, and reconciler of everything, I want to tell you something. that What we are called to, we are called to this, is that we are called to be ministers of reconciliation. Ministers of reconciliation. We're not the reconciler. That's Jesus' job. Jesus creates the reconciliation. But we are to be ministers of that so that when we go into places... And we are working with and ministering to people who are experiencing experiencing material poverty, spiritual poverty, relational poverty. That we go in trusting in the power of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. If we try to do it on our own, I can promise you we'll find ourselves with our shoes on the wrong feet. Our shirts on backwards. I thought I knew, but I didn't get it right we trust in the power of Jesus and his ability to reconcile all that's broken and all that's alienated in our lives and the lives of people around us, we become ministers of reconciliation. That is what we do. That is the power that God gives us to be a part of his reconciling work in the world today. I know for myself, I... um, I participated participated in a lot of mission trips and a lot of mission projects. I don't know that I really ever truly understood that poverty is rooted in these broken relationships so that the solution to poverty is rooted in the power of Jesus' death and resurrection to put all those things in a right relationship again. I think that what I thought was that I would go on a mission trip and I would work as hard as I could possibly work, get as much done as I could possibly get done, and leave a place better than I found it. And that was all there was to it. That's what I needed to do. Until there came a day when my own health didn't allow me to do that kind of work anymore. For a period of time. And I would still go on the mission trips. But now I couldn't uh, hold a hammer in my hand for that period of time. I couldn't do any work. And so when I would go on the mission trips. I would just visit with the people who were there. And I, I thought I'm just so useless on this mission trip. But something happened in all of that. I learned to listen, I sat at the table with, cooked in the kitchens of, homes made out of cardboard boxes, and realized that we were all experiencing some type of alienation, some type of poverty as a result of our alienation from God, from self, from each other, from creation, and that we all need to look at this scripture and say it is by his wounds that we are healed. So we can't see this as an us and them. We are all in it together. We are all called to be ministers of reconciliation so that through the power of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross we can bring we can bring reconciliation to those places of brokenness, alienation, poverty, and pain. And not on our own doing, but through the power of Jesus Christ so that because of his power, we can say, I know what I'm called to. And because of Jesus, we're getting it right. This church is very perfectly poised and positioned to make a huge impact in this community and in this world if all of us will recognize our own poverty of spirit, our own poverty of relationship, and be ministers of reconciliation to those who are struggling with those forms of poverty and material poverty as well, we can be, through the power of Jesus Christ, ministers of reconciliation. And may it be so for us this day and all the days to come. In Jesus' name. Let's pray. God, thank you for the promise that you give us of reconciliation, of hope. That God, when we come before you and ask that you forgive us, we know you promise us that forgiveness. And so help us to be a people of repentance. Help us to accept your forgiveness and then live as a forgiven people. We pray, God, that in this moment you would forgive us for all the things that we have done to disappoint you, to not care about those around us. Uh, Forgive us, we pray, and then free us for joyful obedience and obedience to be ministers of reconciliation in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.